Welcome to Is It Pompey Disease? Exploring Australian cases on the Hereditary Disease Pod. In this three-part instalment, neurologist and co-author of the current Pompey Disease Consensus Recommendations, Professor Merrilee Needham, illustrates the broad clinical spectrum of Pompey Disease, a rare but treatable neuromuscular disorder. In this episode, she presents an Australian case that demonstrates the non-specific signs and symptoms that can delay diagnosis. So my first case after that brief introduction is of a Mr RP. He's a 44-year-old mechanical fitter and he's a father of four kids. He had no significant past medical history. He's a non-smoker, non-drinker, and he was a very keen sportsman. He particularly liked basketball and Aussie rules football. He noticed again in his late 20s, early 30s, so 10 to 12 years before he came to me, that he was unable to do a sit-up and that perhaps implies some axial or core muscle weakness, and he was unable to run or jump properly, and that we sort of uh, decided was probably related to proximal leg weakness. Over the next 10 years, his weakness gradually progressively got worse, and he started noticing difficulty even climbing steps, and particularly if he was carrying something heavy, he was really unable to get up. He didn't describe any excessive daytime somnolence or early morning headache. So when we examined him, his cranial nerve exam was entirely normal. He did have some wasting and weakness around his shoulder girdle, and he had weakness in external rotation and internal rotation of the shoulder, but the rest of the upper limb uh, neurological examination was normal. He had weakness in his axial muscles. He was unable to do a sit-up, and when you looked at the posture of his spine, he had an exaggerated lumbar lordosis. He walked using a modified Trendelenburg gait, so he's had hip abductor weakness, and he stood up from a squat using a modified Gowers manoeuvre, pushing up on his knees. And when you examined him on the couch, he had moderate hip girdle weakness as well as neck flexor weakness, but distal power was entirely normal. So a couple of lessons um, from this particular case. First of all, the significant delay to diagnosis. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. And also that he presented with a fairly common and fairly non-specific presentation of a real proximal limb girdle type muscular dystrophy type pattern. So I'm going to talk to both of those points before we progress any further with this case. First of all, with the delay to diagnosis, on average with the late onset Pompey's disease, the delay to diagnosis is between seven and 10 years. And in part, that's because of the very wide clinical spectrum that patients can present with. The fact that it's quite a rare disease, and in particular, the prevalence does seem to differ in different ethnic groups around the world. With regards to the clinical presentation, it can present, as I said, with either muscle weakness, hypercecaemia, or type 2 respiratory failure. And that means that there's a very big overlap with a lot more common neuromuscular disorders. And in particular, there's a a large variability in diagnostic approaches to these more proximal myopathies. So I'm gonna go through what my approach is. But first of all, just to look at the prevalence of Pompey's disease in different populations. Again, you can see here, there's lots of reports uh, with variations in incidence between one in 15,000 right up to one in 600,000. In Taiwan, there's been an estimate of around an incidence of one in 50,000 population with regards to a proximal limb girdle pattern of muscle weakness, 
This is a very non-specific pattern of muscle weakness and probably the hardest pattern of muscle weakness for neuromuscular neurologists. And that's because it can be either inherited or acquired. So you start off as always uh, in neurology using the history to get the tempo of the muscle weakness, how quickly it came on, how it progressed over time. And we use simple blood tests to exclude acquired causes. In particular, the ones to not forget about is Lambert-Eaton myasthenic syndrome. Uh, I think that's very underdiagnosed and Pompey's disease because it's a very simple blood test to do. If there's significant muscle pain, think about myotonic dystrophy type two, as this presents much more uh, with a proximal than distal muscle weakness as compared to myotonic dystrophy type one. Also consider the metabolic myopathies, in particular the mitochondrial myopathies, carnitine palmitoyl transferase deficiency, and manifesting carriers of dystrophinopathies. All of these can present with uh, limb girdle pattern weakness and none of which will be picked up well, very few of which will be picked up with next-gen sequencing. If you've ruled out all the acquired causes and the other simple causes, then you start to get down to, is this a limb girdle muscular dystrophy? And then there are many different subtypes. And again, these vary according to uh, the ethnicity and uh, country in which you're looking. Some of the clues that can give you um, a bit of a clue to the underlying genetic etiology is the presence or absence of contractures and muscle hypertrophy or calf hypertrophy, um, and the presence or absence of cardiomyopathy. So my approach to a patient with a limb girdle pattern of weakness, of course, the first thing I do is rule out acquired causes. And then if possible, I determine the inheritance pattern because that makes a really big uh, and speedy difference to the diagnosis. Then I look for specific features in patients. I look at their ethnicity and see what's common in different populations around the world. I look for the presence or absence of calf hypertrophy. I look for cardiomyopathy, and I look for the presence or absence of myotonia, both clinically and on EMG. These are all helpful features. Then I do simple blood tests. I rule out um, simple acquired myopathies, like doing thyroid function testing, I always consider LEMS, uh, particularly in smokers. Um, so I do voltage-gated calcium channel antibodies. And at this stage, I always do a Pompey's blood spot. And I'll tell you a bit more about the yield of that soon. If all of these are negative, I might then next go to targeted gene testing if I consider that any of these, uh, such as myotonic dystrophy type 2 or dystrophinopathies or facioscapulohumeral dystrophy are likely, because these targeted genes will not be picked up on the genetic panel that we can access. Then I either go to a muscle biopsy or I go to next-gen sequencing to try to further work out what the cause of the limb girdle dystrophy is. And in Perth, we're lucky we have access to a neuromuscular panel. Uh, so this is usually my first step. We don't and can't access full exomes and whole genomes for everyone here yet. These are still considered um, I guess, research tools or, or you can privately access them. So in these cases, I would then go to a biopsy and try to marry up the genetic results with the biopsy results. So that's my approach to a patient with a limb girdle muscular pattern. So back to our patient, Mr. RP. I went through this diagnostic pathway with him and he had a Pompey's blood spot that confirmed reduced enzyme activity. And then I went on and confirmed it with genetic testing that he indeed, indeed have Pompey's disease. I always go on and do respiratory function testing in these cases, and he had a force vital capacity that was 89% of predicted, 
and he had normal cardiac testing. So that's um, case number one where I really wanted to make the point of delayed diagnoses and how they can present with a non-specific pattern of muscle weakness. Thank you for joining us for this important discussion on Pompe disease. For more information about testing for Pompe disease, please visit sanofigenzymeonline.com.au forward slash diagnostics. And don't forget to check the episode notes for resources, references and links. Please join us next time as we continue to examine Pompe disease and how it can be identified and diagnosed earlier using Australian case studies.